0: Okay, you're you're trying to picture your next CEO, and you have two different candidates. I want you to picture when that CEO is retiring in seven years, and and they're giving their farewell speech. CEO number one says, "You know what? Here's what we've accomplished over the last seven years." Coincidentally, the time period matches when they were there. Okay, and they brag about what they've done, and yada, yada yada yada. Okay, CEO number two says. We are positioned for the future. We've got a wonderful future ahead of us, and here is why. So one is crossing a finish line, the other is handing off a baton.
1: Welcome to the Product West podcast. Thanks for joining us on our journey to better understand innovation and product strategy my name is scott burleson and joining me as always my co hosts jan vermuth and jonathan edwards today we welcome our very special guest dan adams dan is the founder and president of the aim institute and author of new product blueprinting the handbook for b2b organic growth he's a chemical engineer by training and the holder of many patents including a listing in the national inventors hall of fame he has also recently published another book business builders which will be our topic for today dan adams welcome to the product quest podcast
0: Great to be here, Scott, Jan, and Jonathan.
1: And Dan, as anyone who visits the AIM Institute will know, uh, certainly I do, you're a very prolific writer. And I thought we'd start by, since we're going to talk about your new book, but did you enjoy writing growing up, or was that something that just sort of evolved with your career as as you
0: grew up? You know, I didn't really enjoy writing. You know, maybe they were all assignments when I was young. And, uh, you know, as I got old, but I, I always like to read, Scott, mm. you know, in fact, I, I don't I don't want to brag, but even though I'm uh, 68, I read at the 70 year old level. So uh, I've always enjoyed reading. And I think when I got a chance to start writing on topics that I had a lot of passion for, that's when the writing part took off
1: yeah it's like you in one of those earlier books that i'm assuming what's your first book was on parenting um so how has your <laughs> yeah. approach to writing changed since that first book
0: you know i think the thing that's common is it was something that just had to get out i had some things i wanted to say about parenting and then we went into blueprinting and now business builders but i think the thing that's changed is i had to rely on other people's research originally i mean in every case I had a deeply held conviction um, and but, you know, I had to rely on other people's research to kind of support that Uh, more recently in the past few years. And working, of course, with you at the AIM Institute, we've had the luxury of doing our own research. And I think in some ways that's more balanced because when you, you know, when you're trying to defend your position, you do a little cherry picking, a little bit of confirmation bias. Right. And so, hey, here's something that supports me. Right. But when you do your own research, you get a little bit more nuanced, uh, balanced view of things, and so I think I feel better about some of the more recent writings I've done for that reason.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you're certainly an, I mean, and anybody since your training knows you are an excellent communicator. And interesting things like when you're delivering training or even reading your emails or reading your writing, I can hear you talking. I can hear you talking <laughs> as I read, and I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a fantastic trait. I mean, it feels. Very accessible, um, you, you know, um, I feel like I, like you're like one on one and you're talking we're talking we're having a conversation, which I think I think that's I mean, we've all seen academic writing where we feel like the author is sort of trying to talk over us or not really trying yeah. to communicate. but yours consistently, uh, I feel like we're just having a conversation. I think that's a great mark as a writer.
0: I think you know the thing that maybe helps me is I try to think about the person reading. You know, what is it that they need to hear? Somebody gave me a, an illustration a long time ago. I'd kind of forgotten about this, but they said, picture a bullseye. What do they need to know in the center? And then, you know, what would be, you know, helpful to know What's and what's nice to know. And I think sometimes, when I mean, you mention academics, I think about this, they're, they may be writing a 700 page book because they're trying to defend their position and going on and on. But I, I saw some research that said, um, after people graduate from high school, of Americans never complete reading a book again. So I think a short, crisp book, white paper, those things, you you really need to hit the target and have a voice where it's, like you say, it's conversational.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if it's true or not, but I can tell this whether it is or not. is that you know a lot of the academic writing i think the only people who read it are maybe like the their professor and maybe their mom i don't know i think yeah. that's probably the, that's yeah. probably not that's, that's probably not i can the, vouch the for that that's true books. that's a yeah. 100 <laughs> oh sorry Jan finished, jan's an exception jan's an exception <laughs> no no you're 100 percent right <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's think about um your most recent book and so You wrote a book on becoming an admired corporate leader. What was the catalyst? What was the initial thinking behind uh, that inspired you to take that on as a topic?
0: You know, it really built over really a couple of decades. You know, I spent um, 29 years working inside of corporations and I saw all kinds of leaders. Um, I saw some who were builders, some who were climbers, just trying to look good, manage up. And um, one of the, I don't even know when I started using the term business builder, but I think it was when I was working for this really good Dutchman in my last few years in the corporation. And, you know, it was just it seemed like it was natural for him, but it's all about market-facing innovation, building capabilities and skills, delivering value to customers. And it was just an absolute joy. In fact, New Product Blueprint, came about in that protected environment. he let me do what I wanted to do. And um, so I think that's where it started. And then, then the company got sold. And uh, I won't talk too much about the specifics. But when I saw the new leaders, I remember thinking to myself, they couldn't carry his briefcase. So I went to them and said, um, I tried to find out where they wanted to go. And I was right about where they wanted to go. And so basically, I asked them to fire me if they would, please, you know, mm-hmm. I did not want to quit because they had these great severance packages back then. So I couldn't say I quit, but I could say I don't I actually asked the new guy I said, tell me what you want to do, who you want to keep around. He described and I go, yeah, I'm not that person. So you might want to think about this a little bit in your next cutback. So a few months later they fired me <laughs> and yeah. i started the institute <laughs> please don't throw
1: me in the briar patch you know but i think with you know with any time in corporate america we see these situations one that i reflect on a lot is my first you know your first professional job i think it, elements of it stick with you and mine was with converse and you know there were 2000 employees there at this factory in lumberton which was a very poor economic area and for those 2000 people i mean that their their live i mean their livelihoods their children i mean just the quality of life for a whole town was sort of depend a small town was dependent on the decisions that this two or three people were making and they were not making yeah. good decisions and you know so- something about that I mean I really think it's a noble mission you've taken on. It's like and in that case I got to watch that I I was sort of like you. I mean I I saw where things were going and I was not going to be the last rat on the ship. So I jumped before <laughs> it went under, but it did go under and there were a lot yeah. of people that didn't have, you know, some of the options that I had and well, when, um
0: yeah. When these executives, I mean they when they make a decision, they're not throwing a pebble in the in the lake with little ripples. I mean these they're throwing boulders with waves coming it impacts so many people. And, you know, so kind of building on your question, you know, the motivation, why did I still want to do this? I mean, it's been like 19 years since I left the corporate world. Well, what I see is when we are training people at these, usually large B2B companies, some of them just take off and run with it and have enormous success. Others, it kind of fizzles out. And the thing I've noticed is it always comes down to one thing, it's leadership. If that leader or the C-level is being driven by builder behavior, they're going to keep at this thing. It's in, They're in it for the long term. They're going to build their company. If it's just a passing fad, they'll go off onto something else and they'll worry about this quarter's earnings again. So I think it was a measure of frustration. And, you know, what I've noticed when people try to make a change as they get older, they they get crotchety i'll give one example um so dr deming you know i had the joy of actually sitting and listening to him for a week in a conference when he was like in his 90s and this is back in the 1980s and he had been telling american management what to do with quality control they didn't listen so he went over to japan and found this little company called toyota and he was just having a blast poking at american management for a week so he got crotchy in a very entertaining fashion And I can name some other people who try to make changes, but they're still living, so I won't give their names, you know. (laughs) And so I thought, okay, I have a choice, Dan. I could get crotchety and frustrated by this behavior, or I could write a book. So I'm not ruling out the ability to turn crotchety later, but I thought, well, let's start with the book and see if we can influence some people.
1: I'm not holding out on seeing crotchety Dan. I can't, I cannot imagine <laughs> that's beyond my imagination. So that's, <laughs> I don't think we're going to see that. But, but, but none the, even, but I think the point is you felt, if, tell me if I, if I understand this correctly. I mean, you really felt almost a calling to, yeah, to, um, to tell this story of how important it was. And as you say, it, it infects so many people. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting, Scott, you know, I'm not like the most self-aware person on the planet, but, you know, I, I I kind of tried to understand why so much I wanted to do this. And, you know, when people look at the AIM Institute, they say, oh, you're in the business of helping companies grow. We are. That's great. But if you ask me, yeah, go a little deeper. What is it you're really trying to accomplish? Is it for the customers? Is it for the shareholders? Is it this it's the employees. That's a part that really motivates me because what we've seen is when you have a company led by builders, they're, it's market-facing innovation, they're growing, what happens? Well, the, company, the employees aren't worried about the next layoff. They're not looking over their shoulders all the time and they're having rewarding, engaging jobs. There's nothing better than going to work, feeling you're part of something that's creating wonderful things for the marketplace. So that's really the motivation, is to make life a lot better for employees. I think there's a good chance in 20 or 30 years, we'll look back and say, what were we doing? You know, we weren't valuing employees and engaging them the way we should have. We were paying way too much attention to Wall Street investors who are, by the way, holding our stock for an average of less than six months before their share handlers. Why were we working so hard for them? when we had these potentially faithful, loyal employees, which is what used to be the case before the 1970s, right? Employees were loyal. So maybe we'll look back and say we went through, you know, half a century of oddity and weirdness and got back on track, I I don't know.
1: You know, it just, it reminds me of, you know, just so much has changed in the last 50, 60 years over just an employee's relationship with their company. Where it used to be, somebody would stay there for years and years, and there really was there really was a two way loyalty at, at you know. one time. And then, um, it, I think if I I believe that loyalty was first uh, sort of cut short on the employer end, and over time employees became less loyal. Yeah. I won't call out the name of the company, but there's there's a private business I'm aware of. Um, it's over a billion dollars. Um, it's still a family, still in the family that started it. And the, um, the, the person that's, that's the CEO of the company is getting close to 80 mm-hmm. and, um, is they've always done some very it they've done they've really rewarded this that loyalty like when somebody yeah. retires they're often given cars I mean they get a they get a truck uh, you know a new, brand new vehicle when they've been there like not t- like forty years you know so yeah sure they could have they could have worked anywhere in the business and there's just and they're celebrated and they really celebrate it it's just such a throwback and this person I know that runs the company and again is getting close to eighty he's self aware enough to know that. You know, he's not going to be able to do this another 50 years. And one of his greatest fears is that, you know, after he's not there to lead it, that it's going to be a private equity situation and sold off. And all these one all these people that have, you know, grown their families under his leadership are going to, you know, that things will be changed dramatically. So wow. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah,
0: he has a heart for the employees. I mean, that's I think that's really important. When you have a builder in place they're really thinking very, very hard about their customers, how they can keep delivering innovation, not get down the commodity death cycle, and then how they can engage their employees together to help them do that. And that's when really good things happen at a company. It doesn't happen overnight though. It takes time and it's that lever of time that gets us in trouble. When we're always about the short term, we just can't do the stuff that's long-term.
1: Jan, did you have a question?
0: Yeah. And
2: I just wanted to to kind of react or bounce bounce off something you said, which I think you really made me think about this. I think, I mean, we, I think growth is still kind of a word that's important and, and Mm -hmm. the financial growth as such is is really important, but, but I feel like you were alluding to a different kind also of growth, like a really Mm -hmm. more of a developing things or the building that you're, that you're alluding to. And, and you're a hundred percent right. Now that you're mentioning it, it's, it can be, it's a, it's, it's a hugely inspiring thing. Like, we can, I mean, there is, we can debate growth and all kinds of things and mm-hmm. all there, it is debated as a term, but I, 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 it's honestly, it's true that, that going, being on a growth path is, is hugely yeah. inspiring and it's something you can be proud of if you have achieved it. And I'm not exactly. just talking about like financial growth, like that's, no. hey, that's nice. Right. So, I mean, nobody says no to money usually, but like, right. <laughs> but, but I don't but think you're... that's, that's not where the inspiration, the pride then comes from. Like having achieved something is, is that's, yes. that's strong. That can be super strong.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful point you're you're making. You know, in our research, we asked, "Are your senior leaders um, how are they doing in the balance between um, near-term results and long-term capabilities?" You guys may remember uh, Stephen Covey talked about P and PC production and production capabilities. You know, the golden goose and the egg, right? Uh and and, and the goose, the goose and the the egg, and so. What we found was in low performing companies who are not growing well, who are not doing well, there was a really, really heavy overemphasis on near term results. Mm -hmm. The companies are doing better. It was much, much more about building capabilities. And that's the growth part. We're growing as employees, we're learning, we're developing new skills. Now here's the thing that's kind of mind boggling. If you went to any human endeavor, and asked, do you need to build capabilities before you get results? You would say, of course. Pole vaulting, chess, rock climbing, golf, you name it. Can you think of any human endeavor where you don't build the capabilities and grow those before you go and compete for the prize? And the answer is, I can't think of any except, well, maybe American business, <laughs> right? <laughs> in American business, we just keep going after that quarterly earnings over and over again. And we don't really invest in growing those capabilities. So, yeah, that's, a, that's what builders do. And most of the capabilities that a builder builds are human-based capabilities. These are skills. These are, these are culture related, their attitudes. It's really in the people themselves. And if you're firing them and letting them go every couple of years, then good luck with that. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So with the book, Dan, who was the audience you, you had in mind? And what would, what would you like to, what would you like for them to take away or how, or how they're, how would you like them to be changed as a result of reading it?
0: Well, you know, I, I, in the book, I actually do talk a little bit about are you, um, you know, a, an individual contributor? Here's what you can do. Some tips for you there. Are you middle manager? Here are some tips for you there. And are you at the C-level suite or the senior level suite? Now, you know, in Dan's perfect world, here's what the ultimate audience would be. It'd be the board of directors. Mm. And that board of directors mm. would say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, where are we going? You know, first of all, are we all in agreement? We want to grow this company over the long term and build the strongest, healthiest company we can. Great, we're in agreement with that. Now, the second thing is, why then are we putting people in senior leadership positions, rewarding them heavily while they're degrading our ability to do what we're trying to do? because these short-term actions that are being taken are precise, think about it. Uh, travel bans, cost controls, you know, firing people, layoffs, and all these things. you know, these are precisely the things you would do to put your brakes on the long-term growth. So that's what I'd like to see is a different direction. We talk about this in the book also, you know, if you were running a 10,000 meter race, 25 laps, 400 meters. Okay. And your goal was to win the race. And you had, um, somebody in the spectator span, it stands who places a side bet on your time for lap number 17. Would you run all out and sprint lap 17, exhaust yourself and lose the race Because you wanted that side bet to go well for that spectator. Well, if the answer is no, then why in heaven's name are we doing everything for the quarterly earnings for these share handlers who are holding the stock for less than six months? They don't give a hoot about our company and the long-term health. But that's your job as a board of directors and the senior leaders to care very, very much about the long-term health winning the 10,000-meter race.
1: Yeah, you know, the funny. The, the funny thing that comes to mind—I've thought of this over the years—the number of companies that have really focused on building a great company and and have, and have publicly said we don't care about our stock price is very small. But their names yeah. are like Amazon and Apple, <laughs> right? right. And these are like Jeff Bezos was famous for saying, "I don't care," and was sort of mocked as a uh, you know whatever, and, and then uh, it worked out well for him. You know, so it worked up pretty well. Seven years he weird. went.
0: Seven years before he turned a profit. Yeah, so,
1: yeah, exactly. Years, yeah, because why? Because he was focused on b- this vision, this building this thing, and was literally at least so he he was public and saying he did not care about the stock price. It seems like that would be a story that others would immediately copy. But what what do you think has pre- prevented the, them from copying these obvious, these very few number of examples?
0: Well, so the thing that Jeff Bezos was able to do very effectively, he was able to create a picture of where the business is going. So so think about this for a moment. If your company has a PE ratio of 20 to one, okay, that means that the company's value is 20 times what it did this year in terms of earnings, right? Well, wait a minute, where's the other 19, right? What's that, what, how, how, did that how did we get to 20, right? Well, that's what the investors think the future of your company looks like. It's about the future of your company. So Bezos was able to create a picture of a future that's very, very exciting. So he was able to find plenty of investors that came along with him and had huge stock market valuations way before he ever turned a profit. So now let's come back to your question. What this means is the business leaders, the senior leaders, they need to have that vision and they need to communicate that vision. If all they're doing is the short-term stuff, they're sending signals that they aren't—they don't have that vision. In fact, yeah. if you have long-term—if you're—if you guys are all long-term investors, would you want your leadership of the company you've invested in to be doing travel bans and cost freezes and hiring freezes and layoffs? putting the brakes on your long-term growth, you would not. So you attract more of the wrong types of investors with this behavior. Warren Buffett said, you know, companies attract and deserve that the, the investor constituency that they have. So yeah, they need to get the story, they figure out what their story is and then communicate it more effectively.
1: Funny, I'm having a flashback. I remember giving a presentation a little over 10 years ago And I had this Amazon example in there and I remember this. This is why I can't remember anything. I've got all this useless information in my head, but I remember what Amazon's PE ratio was. It was 75 and that was about 10 years ago. And so somebody would say, what a terrible investment. How can that be worth the 75 uh, PE ratio? But it's, You know, Amazon from 2010 to 2013. I'm going to say without even looking that probably would have been a good investment,
0: (laughs) despite its
1: 75 P ratio back in 2010 or whatever. Absolutely. I know within business builders you've got certain categories, decorator and so on. Would you mind sort of taking us through those different uh, uh,
0: those different types? Yeah, yeah. So we did this research and got a very high response rate on our survey, and we we didn't ask. employees, are you a builder, decorator, remodeler, or, you know, realtor? Because we didn't think a lot of people would sign up. I'm a decorator, right? Instead, what we did was we defined each of these. And basically a builder is somebody who drives strong organic growth by meeting the needs of the marketplace. Remodeler does good work. They're all about productivity improvement and uh, quality improvement, making things better. We need those people. However, If all you do is remodeling and never building, eventually you descend down into the commodity cycle and you're competing on price. And then the next one was the decorator. And the decorator is all about presenting favorable uh, picture of performance and future to investors. And then the realtor is somebody who's mostly engaged in buying and selling acquisitions, you know, which again can be very helpful um, but if you're don't if you don't know how to grow what you have you' you're building a house of cards. So we make it clear in the book that we're not saying you shouldn't look good to investors. You shouldn't, you know, improve your productivity, your, you know in quality. You shouldn't do good M A. Those are really good things to do. What we're saying is if those are the main thing you're driving in your business, you will not be as successful as a builder- led business overall. So we did this research and we had people, um, we we were able to parse the data, senior level leaders responding, middle management responding, and subordinates responding. And what we found, or, or individual contributors responding. And what we found was for the most part, the middle management and the individual contributors agreed very closely. So for a lot of the research in the book that we reported, we just grouped them together as subordinates. So you got really two groups, senior leaders and subordinates. And so what we found was about, about 50, I think it's 52 or 53%, about half of the senior leaders self-identified as a builder. And when we asked subordinates, what they're, it's all about your senior leaders. We aren't asking, what about you? We're asking, what about your senior leaders in these research questions? about 32, roughly a third of the subordinates felt their leaders were builders. So somewhere between a third and a half are probably builders out there, and the others are chasing something else. So that's basically the foundation. Now, we also ask questions about what are your feelings about your prospects for future growth of your company? And we also ask questions about How do you feel you are growing versus your competition, the same, slower, or faster? And so a lot of the most interesting research, I think, um, was when we were able to compare slower growth companies to faster growth companies. And what we saw over and over again was the builder behavior was more associated with the faster growth companies and the decorator and, frankly, even the others, remodeler and realtor, were associated, in, again, in terms of the leadership, the main passion. In fact, that's something we were clear about. What is your main passion? And uh, so that was associated with slower growth, those others, non-builder. So, you know, it's kind of fun to see because that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> but it's good to get data.
1: <laughs> a couple of things. So a third to half was builders. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah,
0: third to one half uh basically the senior leaders thought half of them thought they were builders themselves were builders and the subordinates thought a third of their senior leaders were builders
1: yeah that makes sense so to your point earlier about the audience you'd hope you really hope finds these board of directors i think this would be a very compelling case for the you know board of directors which probably more than anybody else perhaps have the most logical and rational, uh, longest-term thinking, or at least should, at least should yeah. have that
0: perspective. And so, yeah, yeah. If only, yeah. If, if only the uh, if only the subordinates read it, then uh, and yeah. nothing changes. I'll have been successful in frustrating a lot of subordinates. You know? oh, for
1: sure,
3: <laughs> you know.
1: So, okay, go ahead, John.
3: Is it is it possible to become a builder, or are builders born that way? Can someone who reads your book and say, "Oh, I think I I might be a a decorator," then change and become a builder.
0: So that is the sixty four thousand dollar question, Jonathan. I don't know the answer. I I say in the book, you know, if you're a decorator, you know, but you're a senior leader, but you can change. You're a leader. You can do this, right? Um, I do also believe that a a lot of people will find it very hard to change. I I think when we look back, if this book is successful, we'll probably find that what it did more than anything else was allow people who are builders at heart to justify their actions, to explain why they're doing what they're doing. That's probably the most likely outcome of this. Um, I would be just delighted if some decorators became builders i do think there's a very good prospect that remodelers will in fact become some of those will become builders because remodelers have the right heart they want to make things better it's just that they're directing their actions at things that won't in the long term get the job done but they're very important to do now we got to we can't stop you know doing that kind of remodeling work So I think we might be successful in taking a lot of remodelers and saying, yeah, that's great what you did. Keep it doing, Keep going. it. But here is your new north star. It needs to be building for the future by delivering value to your marketplace. So we'll see. Yeah,
1: I
2: think
3: I actually would have a follow up question, um, which is. Is it always the case that a builder is is better than than
0: the other uh, the the other personality or characters? In in the the answer is no. Now, if the question is in the senior leadership or leadership of a business, because we could be talking about a division here in the general manager, not the C level, right? So any business leadership we could talk about it. What we can say from the data is when you have a business builder leading that business, that business will do better. Does that business builder leading the business also need on their, his or her team people who can make us look good to Wall Street? Yes. People who can drive productivity and, and quality? Yes. People who can pursue acquisitions, yes. So the fact is, not everybody is nor should be a builder. We need these other behaviors, but we need them more in supporting roles, not the main leadership role, according to the data. So, you know, so there is a thing, an assessment we have, but we tell people don't feel bad if you're not a business builder, but you might want to get in a company that is led by a business builder. So you don't have to worry about the next layoff and you might enjoy yourself a lot more supporting that kind of dynamic, high energy uh, market facing innovation.
1: I imagine a lot of the remodelers, um, you know, came out of the '80s era of lean manufacturing mm-hmm. and good mm-hmm. things, like good things, Six Sigma and lean, and with hey, let's reduce inventories, and hey, let's you know, let's you know, keep you know, measure our you know, it's, it's, take longer to pay our suppliers, do all these things, make our sure. cash, <laughs> make our cash look better, um, you know, um, but you know, it's um, I, but I don't remember who I heard say this, but it, I heard someone say you can't shrink your way to greatness.
0: No, well, you really
1: so can. It's, it's, yeah. I, I tend yeah. to agree with you to have some hope for the remodelers because it could just be an awareness thing of where they've been or maybe it's it could be like their first roles were operations and that's that was their charge and right. so that's what they should be doing but it's some but they're, so they literally might not be aware that this the you know and it's there's the limit to how far that can do for the good of the company.
0: I like your perspective on time also, Scott. You know, we've written a little bit on um, the waves, the quality wave, the productivity wave, the innovation wave. And, you know, in the 70s and 80s and, and even into the 90s, the quality wave was what you really need to focus on. I mean, if you were not doing statistical process control and, you know, you were Chrysler with, you know, cars that were not high quality and you were facing Toyota with cars that were... You just needed to focus on the quality wave period. I mean, you had to get there. And then you get into the productivity wave and lean and business process re-engineering and all these sort of things. And you know what? You needed to do that. You need to get there. Now we're in the innovation wave. And, you know, if you haven't figured out the quality and productivity by now, you're probably not even in business anymore, right? Those are more prices of entry, table stakes, that sort of thing. You need to keep working it, right? But the point is, What do you do if you get to zero defects? What do you do next? Um, If your productivity is so high, you're running a lights out factory. What do you do next? Right. You do reach a point of diminishing returns. When you talk about market facing innovation, as opposed to the other two, there is no limit. You know, as long as you can understand and meet customer needs better than others, there's absolutely no ceiling to what you can do. So yes, if somebody grew up in that quality and productivity way, if you can understand that, so it may be an awareness. Guys and gals, we're in a different era right now.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think there was an era when um, being a remodeler could be a source of competitive advantage. 70s, 80s, that that era probably ended somewhere, I'm going to say, in the late 90s, something like that, where... um, like you say, there's a table stake. So that, and if you if you're not doing cellular manufacturing, if you haven't taken all that waste out, you you you're already out. So yeah. So but it but because it at one time historically was a sort of competitive advantage, I can you can see how that idea would be uh, hard to let go of.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I think there's a lot of hope for remodelers. This is something I wrestle with a little bit, and I'm still wrestling with it. If somebody is not a builder. It could be because their natural passion just isn't that. Right. They're just good at making things better. They're great right. at telling a story to Wall Street. Right. Go for it. Do it. Right. Do Be the best you can. Um, there could be others, though, who aren't a builder because, you know, they, they grew up learning that the goal was to maximize shareholder wealth. And they haven't really seen the evidence that that's a bad idea. Right. or they don't realize we're a little bit past the productivity and quality wave and they need to change. So, so some of it's natural, who you are, some of it is the, you know, what, what you're aware of and your ability to learn and adapt to the times.
1: You know, the realtor is an interesting one too. I think, again, anybody that's been in corporate America for multiple decades, uh, you've known some realtors, right? Or you have probably worked for some realtors. Uh, so they're, you know, m and they're always, every presentation you know, there's a target they've got you know here's a it's always a very secretive thing you know they can't talk about it or have to be measured for legal reasons what they can say but um what do you get the sense that what's uh what would well first we offer an opinion <laughs> would, of course we want your opinion but my sense is a lot of times the realtors they just enjoy being realtors like they enjoy that <laughs> process of they secret, they like visiting companies and the, and it it seems to me, I guess I'll just get your reaction from my thoughts on it. Is that they just enjoy it? They enjoy visiting companies and having the high level meetings and maybe and. But the question you wonder about is, I mean, there's some, there's lots of evidence. At least I haven't read it recently, but I know historically there's been a lot of evidence that this does not increase the long term prospects for a company. So I'm always like, are they aware of that? Are they not aware of that? Um, yeah. The, I not- what, are,
0: what are your thoughts? Well, the numbers are all over the map, but most of the research, and there's dozens of studies that that support this, most of the research says that somewhere between 70 and 90 percent of them will not be successful. They really won't help. So you have to ask, why are we doing this? I agree, there are some people who love it and they're very good at it too, and we need them in some cases. So I think there was a period of time where people were doing acquisitions to mask their lack of organic growth. Mm. And so, you know, they were able to, you know, the reporting systems weren't that good 20, 30 years ago. So you're able to go out to investors and say, hey, we grew this much. And they would go, well, how much is organic? You'd wave your arms a little bit. And it was kind of cloudy, you know. So that was seen as a way of growing because you didn't know how to grow, right? Um, But then I think now when people are doing acquisitions, there there needs to be a good question of what will this acquisition do? And if it's growing for growing sake, or it's more about the synergies and the cost reductions and all that sort of thing, those are the ones that are not successful. But there are some that are very, very successful when they bring strategic capabilities that our company needs in order to be successful in the target markets we're focusing on. So those can be really, really good And that's where you need those people who enjoy it a lot, who are good at it a lot. But again, supporting roles. If your leadership team is all about, this is what we're doing, we're just going to grow by acquiring, they're going to make a lot of dumb acquisitions and they'll be in the 70 to 90% range quite a bit of the time.
1: And I I think as folks read the book and learn about builders, remodelers, decorators, and realtors, I think that's a great point that the realtor skills are highly valued and needed and the decorator skills are highly valued and needed. Certainly we've, we've established remodeler skills they are necessary for staying in business. So yeah. it's not that those are bad. It's just, um, uh, if I understand it correctly, that but you, we still need a builder at the top and maybe these yep. others would be uh, supporting, function- supporting. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I wondered if we could dig in a bit more into what a builder looks like, because when we talk about builders, what I have in mind is, you know, someone with tools, building a chair or maybe a programmer or an engineer or something like this. Yeah. Um, how does this translate for the C-suite? What, is, what does a builder in the C-suite look like? Is yeah. this about creating an organization? What? How do you see this?
0: Great. Wonderful. So let's go back to, so as, as I mentioned, at Dame Institute, we work, you know, predominantly with some very large companies. So let's think of any of those companies. You guys could imagine some publicly traded companies are very large. And let's go ask, what did the founder behave like? What was that founder like? Well, that's the builder behavior we'd like to emulate. And what did that founder do? The founder found a need in a marketplace with customers, and they did an amazing job of meeting those needs. And they just kept doing it. You know, one of the um, one of the companies that um, we highlight in the book is uh, Parker Hannafin and Tom Williams, who recently retired as their CEO. He's still chairman right now. And he likes to talk. I love this. He likes to encourage Parker employees to be re-founders to think. He says, your last name does not have to be Parker to be a refounder. He wants everybody thinking like that. So taking your question, Jonathan, mm. you can be a builder at any level of the company. You can be somebody who, you know, just wants to understand customer needs, meet those needs. You might be, I mean, it could be really easy for you if you're in product development area like R&D and, that sort of thing, but you could be in sales, you could be in marketing, that could be a great role, product management. You could be on teams as an entry-level employee that are doing market-facing innovation. You know, you could be out there interviewing customers with your teammates, learning about customer needs, Beyond that team, help them develop the product, launch it. You could be in finance or accounting as supporting this. Okay, you don't have to be an engineer or a chemist to do this. So that's what a builder looks like at the entry level. Then as the builder moves up through the organization, they're hiring other builders. Again, not everybody, not everybody, but they're hiring market leaders and technology leaders who have the same passion for delivering value to the customers, just like the founders did. Um, They're not the climber. Uh, The climber is just managing up, trying to look good all the time, you know, uh, they're all about building something for the future. They know that by creating this these, this, these value propositions, these differentiated new products, that they're building the business. It's not a temporal thing. They're putting out new product platforms. Their business is getting stronger and stronger. And then when that division general manager or whatever gets promoted to the C-suite, they do what they've always been doing at the rest of the company. They say, you know what we did and how we got here? We're gonna keep doing that. And uh, so that's what a builder looks like. Now a decorator, or let's even call it a climber, you know, how do they succeed? A climber is somebody who's good at reporting results while a builder is good at creating results, okay? Um, the, The time horizon of a builder is years. The time horizon for climbers climber is quarters or months. If financial reports were reported on a fortnightly basis, it would be fortnightly. OK, so when a climber gets to the top of an organization, uh, they've run out of steam because they climbed by looking at businesses who are already led by builders and extracting value. Right. They let people go. They cut costs and so forth because it doesn't hurt them in the short term but haven't helped them when they get to the top of the organization and there's nothing left to cut because that's what they know how to do. So that's the difference between a builder and some of these other mentalities. Does that help, it Jonathan? It does, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> also,
2: uh, I also like, I wanna emphasize this. So maybe uh, maybe this is kind of the, uh, uh, the wrong room to emphasize it, but still I wanna do it for those outside the room is that, you connect, I mean, you connect building with customer needs, right? Yeah. So what you could initially think is you could say, well, builder is about, well, it's like focus on the product, <laughs> you know, but it seems there is this, like, I think the emphasis on business building and how you connect this to building it on customer needs or an unmet need. I really Absolutely. want to stretch this and how this seems to go together, like a long-term growth mindset, whatever you want to call this, that obviously something like a builder seems to have goes hand in hand with customer needs and 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 being about them and not about like the, well, whatever kind of short-term thing you can change or, or like yeah. the product you can tweak, but it's how can I make this a long-term thing? And, and, and customer needs seem to play a key role. Now, I would naturally agree, but I think that needs stretching, <laughs> it's just- Yeah, you know, it does,
0: there's, oh. there's a, it's a very, and this is why it's um, difficult for people because it is complex. You know, Peter Drucker said the purpose of business is to create and keep customers. He also said there's only two functions of business, marketing and innovation, all the rest are costs. And so we can make a strong argument that the primary directive is to create value for our customers. But the builder knows there's a lot that has to happen for that to take place. They may need to move into new regions of the world. They may need to acquire new technology capabilities uh, they may need to build a lot of skills within their organization. They may need to think about the culture of innovation that's taking place. They may need new processes to manage their innovation. That's why it gets so complex. So if you take that simplistic example of the founder, they could focus on vulcanizing rubber or whatever it was they did to get started, right? And that was pretty simple. They're meeting these customers. And some might argue, yeah, well, when you, you know, when you get bigger, you really don't need that 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 founder anymore. You just need all this other stuff. The fact is, you still need that builder mentality. You just have to surround it with lots of other supporting capabilities. But if you lose that first love, well, a lot of those companies aren't around anymore.
3: I I also noted that you made that connection between builders and understanding customer needs but in my mind often this is exactly kind of the conflict that you'll have an engineer who's maybe a really good builder but builds for no one or doesn't really (laughs) although this of course is changing and and not a a generality but but i think there is this cliche of the you know someone who just is going to build something without considering the customer needs Um, So how are are these not builders or how would we, is it, is it correct that you connect needs and this builder personality?
0: They're probably enthusiastic, but misdirected builders. So if they like to create things, (laughs) that's great. Give me that for the starting point every day. Scott and I are in the business of working with misdirected builders, aren't we, Scott? And you know what? They do great. In fact, the fact is those misdirected builders who start with their own ideas, their own solutions, they actually get frustrated because nobody loves their their baby after the baby is born. And so once we teach them how to go about understanding market needs, then they're just they're great at it. You know, maybe they were thinking it was marketing's job or product management's job. And and they're waiting for somebody to tell them what the market wants, you know, and we can teach them how. No, you can do this, you know, hopefully get your marketing buddies to come along with you. And when they do, they do great. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, think of a builder building a cathedral. Um, you need lots of other people, right? Stained glass artisans and scaffold directors. You need lots of other people building that but you also better have a pretty darn good plan for what that cathedral is going to look like at mm-hmm. the end. And so you need to, the only people who know what that plan is for new products are the people who are going to buy those new products. So heaven help us. We better go talk to those people and figure it out.
3: And so some pretty um important stakeholders also in building cathedrals, right?
0: Absolutely. You need a team on this thing. That's why, I wasn't discouraged writing this book. I included this in one of the chapters. If it is true that some of the best builders at the senior level grew up with market-facing innovation. You know, this is something they learned, they love, they developed a passion and so forth. But the thing that gives me hope is they cannot do that on their own. They need a team. And this team has lots of other skills in selling in finance in operations and so what i find is those people love being on a team that's really going to be successful and the only way they're successful is by giving customers what they really want
1: yeah okay, I, I really like this idea of um I believe you said Tom Williams. the idea of adopting this founder mentality. We founders. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. Because one of my one of my thoughts was about an audience of this that I hope finds this book would be uh, young folks just beginning their careers. Who this is probably be they don't even this is something they probably aren't naturally thinking about a lot early on. But I think it would be a great mentality for those because the future leaders are they're young now right so i'm hoping Probably. those folks find this book and i i love that idea of that that founder mentality for them well, i know, would
0: say that there is oh sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead Jonathan.
3: i was just gonna say i think this depends often a lot on the culture in the in the company because um, if you're gonna adopt a founder mentality then there also needs to be a certain allowance for for failure and because yes. because in the end that's that's part of it, right? I mean, if you're trying new things and you're trying to to de- develop new ideas,
0: some of them are not, not going to work. So it's a great point. You know, one of the other leader, leaders we feature in the book is a gentleman named Case Verhaar. And he was the fellow I worked for that was this amazing Dutch business builder. And he said when I interviewed him, he said, I would let people know when I made a mistake because I wanted to make it really clear that it's fine to make mistakes as long as we learn from them. So it's a culture where risk is, is tolerated and accepted, and uh, people are encouraged to learn from those and keep building. I want to come back to Scott's point, though, on the young people. You know, imagine you've got somebody who's really bright and they could go to Wharton and pursue finance because people in finance make a lot of money, right? Or they could go to you know, MIT and pursue uh, you know, a background in a technical area and so forth. You know, I, I would hope that people would pause a little bit on the finance side and think that through it is true that you make a lot of money in finance um i hope it changes I'm, I'm not saying i hope they you know get you know cuts in pay but what i'm saying is there's a there's some research there's a book out called makers and takers a fascinating book and the makers are the ones who are building the business the takers are the finance people and the author she makes the point that um it used to be that finance worked for business and that's no longer the case. Now business works for finance. And we've got it backwards. We need to get that back to where it was. Finance is an important function, but we shouldn't all be working for finance. We should be really building strong businesses. So I would I would encourage, um, you know, people who are just getting into the workforce to think about the skills, the education, the background to become a builder. What's it take to do something great?
1: You know, the illustration but- that comes to mind is Disney. Because Disney was originally founder-led. And I know that Walt Disney himself, he bet the whole company on the success of Snow White, like mortgage to the hilt, bet the whole company on Snow White. And then he bet the whole company again on Disneyland. For He like spent everything. If Snow White's not successful, if Disneyland is not successful, he bet the whole company twice. And then he passed away in the 60s. Um, and then in the decades since, it's been not the same. It, most recently, uh, the, what what made me think of it is the realtor, because this is we're recording this is 2023. In the last 10 years, I just saw an article where their um, their stock is the same price now it was 10 years ago. Disney. Mm. Meanwhile, they've purchased Star Wars, Lucas Arts. They've mm. purchased Marvel. So they've made the, all these. And, and before then, they bought ABC. Uh, you know, even before that, they bought ESPN. They bought these massive, massive properties, and in ten years, uh, their stock price is the same. So that's a pretty good case study mm-hmm. for uh, what happens when you're builder-led versus uh, realtor-led. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I
3: think this um, this uh, idea of going all in on on different projects. This is a theme that that comes back time and time again in in what I would identify as builder led companies um i mean i was just listening to an interview with um, uh, jensen huang who's the um, the, the founder uh, of uh, nvidia who, who which is a lot in the news right now cuz it's doing very well of course and and this in this interview he was talking about exactly this how how they bet everything on a certain project and if we take well, the the cliche one, uh, Elon Musk, he does the same thing. I mean, he's he's bet his he, he you know put all his um, money on this on various projects at different times. So I wonder if that's a characteristic that uh, of I builders. It is.
0: I think I think that's part of it. And I think the ability to make major changes in strategy. I once saw a letter from Thomas Jefferson written to the owners of Dupont saying, you've got some really good explosives. They really helped me blow up my tree stumps on my farm, you know? So here's a company that's transformed itself over and over and over again. And I'm sure some of those are very big bets. Corning, a lot of people know this. It went through seven near-death experiences. Uh, you know, for a while, they were really big. You know, just before the the internet bubble burst, they were all about, you know, the 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 cable, you know, the uh, the fiber the the fiber cable, and when that crashed, they almost died. That's happened seven times, but in every case, they were able to redirect. And uh, so, I think there's an awareness of where the market's going, the future, and uh, an ability to change is probably a very really important part of this.
1: I want to move us to the website areyouabusinessbuilder.com for folks to take an assessment. Dan, Can you tell us a little bit about that website and this assessment they might take there?
0: Yeah, it only takes people about 5 minutes a free site areyouabusinessbuilder.com and um they answer 20 questions. Now here's the part that it's important. We mentioned it but it could be glossed over. We we ask them to either strongly agree, agree, neutral, disagree or disagree or strongly disagree. On 20 business builder, and here's the key word, beliefs. So we're saying, Do you believe this? You know, and so we get into you know shareholder wealth and market-facing innovation and lots of different aspects. And in fairness, these are Dan's observations, 20 observations about what I have seen market business builder. I'm not saying they're right, these are just when I, so I figure since I get to make up the term business builder, I get to make up what, <laughs> <laughs> what the, the definition is, okay? So, any anyway, rate, people fill this in, and when they do, they can then download a, I don't know, five or six-page report, and it gives them a score, 0 to 100. And uh, the closer you are to 100, the more your beliefs align with my vision of what a business builder is, okay? And so, you know, I've just started getting this out to some friends. So we have like nearly 100 data points so far, and most of them are, you know, in the eighty-one hundred. but that's what's called sample bias, right? <laughs> so I sent this out to my, my friends and that. But I do recommend um, when you get a score that's not real high, well, okay, if you get a score that's high, first of all, you've answered the question, this is what you believe. Now, the second question that you have to answer on your own is, is this how you behave? Because somebody might be a builder in an organization, maybe a subordinate uh, role, and they may have very, very strong beliefs and score 90 on this thing. But they may go, but I can't do this because I'm working for a bunch of decorators. Right. And so I give some recommendations if that's the case. One of which is find another company to work for, but that, I won't go into details on that. Okay. So the first question is if you score high as a, as, a, as a builder on your beliefs, is that what the behavior is? If you're a senior level, is it time to change? Is it time to act on your convictions? Okay. Now, what if you score lower on this? That's where I say, well, there's a couple of things that you may want to think about. You may not be aware of some things. You may still have heard that maximizing shareholder wealth is a good idea, and that's not a good idea, and here's why. So in the report they download, we have, for all 20 of those, two or three references to the book that they can go and explore in more detail. And if we've changed their thinking from an awareness standpoint, we would then invite them to go and take the business builder assessment again and see if their their numbers have changed. And a few people have done that. Now. Somebody might take it once or twice and go, no, I'm just not a business builder. And we say, that's great. We need you in these supporting roles. We need you making us look good on Wall Street. We need you making our quality better, our productivity better and so forth. And so my recommendation there is if you can find a business builder led business and be part of that and build something great with them. So by no means are we saying everybody should be a builder or that's the right answer, but it probably isn't bad to examine ourselves and ask, what do I really believe? And mm-hmm. can I learn a little bit more? Now, what do I believe? <laughs> and then go from there.
1: I think that's a fantastic perspective on um, which category somebody ends up in. I mean, if they're a decorator, then you know maybe they should maybe that's even helpful career advice they should seek a role where they can specialize in it at the same time they need an awareness of this is not the path to success for the whole company so they could yes they could sort of embrace their what they enjoy doing with realizing that they probably should not be at the very top like somebody you need a builder they need to be working yeah. for a builder, which is, you know, yeah. Well, that's tough. To that, that's tough to
3: to tell someone that, though. I mean, it's, uh, you know, to to, to really to get that info. Uh, I don't know. I think. Uh, do you think people would uh, would be happy to say, "Oh, okay, I'm I'm, uh, you know, I guess I guess I'm not made for the top. I'll I'll will just be content." I think, I think
2: I think there is a builder talking, so that's probably why you're. I think many would say I'm, I'm fine with having a good boss. Depends on it. Like
0: maybe, I don't Well, know. you know, it's good. It's a great question. I don't know the answer to it. Um, we do have data now that, so so yeah. here's the question. If I'm a decorator and I'm at the C-suite and I'm all about the quarterly, you know, earnings and presenting a good face, that's what I've been doing. It's how I got here, okay? Now, if I'm faced with data, that says that isn't really the best thing for my company's overall growth. How will I react? I don't know the answer to that. Um, mm-hmm. There's gonna be some of them. I mean, you got, I mean, it's only natural. Your ego's pretty big by the time you get there. You know, I'm gonna go with what got me here. I'm successful. There will be even a subset. I hate to be cynical, but they'll go, I don't care. I got mine and I'm getting out. I mean, I'll I'll relay a quick story here. Um, at one company, um, very large, multi-billion dollar company, the chief technology officer was talking to a bunch of group presidents. And one of the group presidents said, yeah, I don't believe in innovation. Now imagine that, right? You're the chief technology officer. Well, what do you mean, Joe? we guy goes, what do you mean you don't believe in innovation? He goes, well, I'm retiring in two years and anything we do now in terms of innovation is not going to help me. Now, this fellow had somehow Lost, fact, lost sight of the fact that his role was to leave his company stronger than he found. That's a, by the way, that's a mantra we have throughout the book. If you're a leader, your number one objective beyond everything else is to leave your company stronger than you found it. This guy was not thinking about it. He had turned this whole objective into what can I get out of it? What bounty can I receive stock bonuses and so forth and go home with, you know? Now, we need to find those people in our organization. We need to get them out of there because those people are driving out the builders, the would-be future builder leaders in our company. I don't know how many people are like that. I'm not naturally cynical, so yes, there are some, but I would hope that most of them just didn't fully appreciate that decorating is not what their company needs. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. there's a, a name for the, those kinds of people. Is jerks, no? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, well, what I I have an illustration in the book for 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 the for the, um, for, for the board of directors. Hey, okay, you're you're trying to picture your next uh, CEO, and you have two different candidates. Okay, I, and I tell them I want you to picture when that CEO is retiring in seven years. And, and they're giving their farewell speech, okay? CEO number one says, you know what? Here's what we've accomplished over the last seven years. Coincidentally, the time period matches when they were there, okay? And they brag about what they've done, gotcha. and yada, 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 okay? CEO number two says, we are positioned for the future. We've got a wonderful future ahead of us, and here is why. So one is crossing a finish line, the other is handing off a baton. So I'm encouraging, you know, boards of directors to think about the one who's gonna pass the baton on. And I tell them, imagine you had the founder of your company sitting in the room with you, deciding between CEO number one and CEO number two, which one are you gonna pick? That founder yeah. wants to keep building it bigger and bigger and better, stronger and, and so forth. So. Yeah, that's that's yeah. what I hope will happen with the
1: book. It certainly seems like one attribute of a builder is they think about other people. I mean, if if a person's logic is well, if the earnings per share hits this five whatever number, then I you know I get half a million dollars bonus, and that's sort of the beginning and end of my logic. You, I don't. There's probably not much that's going to appeal to them, but I yeah. I find myself reflecting on this other CEO of this private company I mentioned is you know getting up in years and. His biggest concern is what's gonna happen to these thousands of people when I'm not here. Will my will this company, you know, go to private equity? What will happen to them? That I mean, obviously it's not a problem for him, uh, but what will happen to these other people? So that really there's there's an unselfishness uh in the builder. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a personality and or attribute.
0: Yeah. Humans are really, really good about picking up on self-interest or other interests. Yeah, and so in that organization, I'd be willing to wager that the vast majority of the employees understand that this is a special leader that they're working for. Yeah. They probably figured that out a long time ago. And I would also yeah. venture to say the people in that example I gave of the group president, they figured him out too.
1: Right. I think, yeah. you, I think you're right. I was thinking of something similar. You're talking about the climbers. Uh, we've we all we've all seen them. You know, they're just they move up through the organization. We sort of wonder how, but uh, yeah. they, they exist. Um, so, but yeah, but back to the site, are you a You know, so I, I think it would be a fantastic thing for folks to, uh, just to, um, spread that website throughout their companies. Some, uh, there's, you know, for folks at almost any level to take that assessment and, you know, to be introspective and just think about it. I mean, there's probably some that um, could that it could be an awareness thing, and that, and maybe they've got that builder gene in them, and they find it inspiring. You know, um, there's maybe some that are you know what I'm a natural realtor, and I'm gonna embrace that role and just sort of understand that limitations. And you know, and then those that we can't those that we can't reach, we can't reach them anyway. So I can only see positive things coming from uh, lots of folks taking that assessment. Uh, are you a hope- com?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You asked about the target audience before. So I'm hopeful that a lot of people who are not at the senior levels will take that assessment, spread it around, maybe slide the book under their decorator boss's door, you know, or yeah, whatever it might be, right. you know, I mean, if we, you know, if we, if we can't change the unrepentant decorator and climber, let's at least make them feel a little bad about it. Right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh. So, but I do think there's an opportunity here to start a new discussion with a new language. So I was being very intentional when I put these labels on, Um, you know, when you guys have all noticed this, you're in a company and a new person heads up the, the the division, the group the company, whatever, immediately everybody says, what kind of a person is that, you know? Mm. And, um, You know, if you if you have a passion for market facing innovation and maybe the person came up through operations and that's not quite where they're at. You know, maybe the person came up through sales and it's not quite where they're at. And so we know all of us who've been in that situation, we got a little more work to do if they're not there already. Right. And so now we have a language. And so hopefully, you know, companies will seek out the builders in those senior levels and uh maybe it'll be just a little less comfortable to be a decorator and a climber.
1: Mm, I like that. And any anything else about business builders we haven't we haven't covered that we we should we should hit should
0: address. No, although I will tell you, you know, I just got off the a call with our publicist and I'll tell you I'm still very much in the learning mode on this thing. You know, um I I feel like I've Kind of pointed my finger at the problems, and I hopefully provide enough data to say these really are serious problems. And I have some suggestions in the book of how to I personally become more of a builder, you know, chart your course, and how your organization can change. But I'm not at all to the point where I figured we've got it, we've got it all figured out. And so I'm actually going to be probably looking to meet with some senior level teams of some different companies maybe do what we call discovery interviews, Scott, to find out why are there, what are the obstacles that you see? How can we learn from each other? Maybe there's going to be almost a, a community of people who want to become builders. So I don't have that all mapped out in my brain at all, but I think there's more to this. If the book kind of catches a little bit, I think we can start maybe sharing with each other how to drive more builder-led companies and that I don't think has been completely figured out. There's more to be learned here on this.
1: Well, it's just really a noble effort, quite honestly, because, I mean, again, if you really think about, I think I forgot your metaphor about dropping a pedal, but the the thousands of people that are impacted by a company's decisions by a very few number of people. And then well, if that's thousands of employees, well, then that's who knows how many thousands of people, uh, children, spouses, uh, whatever, that are dependent on yeah. these people to make good decisions. So um, you know, it really, I mean, it's a fantastic topic. And you're certainly a builder, sir. And I appreciate you writing it and uh, for spending some time with us today.
0: Well, you guys are building something here. You're <laughs> building a community of people who uh, are kindred spirits. And um, I really appreciate the chance to be here. So thank you for that
1: you bet. Awesome. for taking
0: the time.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, folks, you can connect with Dan Adams on LinkedIn. You can find him at the AIM Institute, which is uh, aiminstitute.com. Make sure and take that uh, business builder assessment tool at com, And of course, find Dan's book, Business Builders, available on Amazon right now. Well, folks, that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. Please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for having me. You guys have a great rest of the day, okay? You too. All right. 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 Bye-bye, then.